Tonight's New Testament reading is 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. It can be found on page 2 in your bulletin. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since, lovers, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, y'all. Good to see you this evening. I'm Pastor Glenn, one of the pastors here at Grace Downtown. Uh, I want to remind uh, you parents, anybody that has uh, kids in here, I love hearing your children in this service. Okay? I love it. To me, it's like, uh, you know, from the mouths of babes, right? Praise going forth to God. So as we're in this sort of in-between time, just relax. Hakuna Matata, all right? <laughs> Just, anyway. Um, this is our last passage for this series, and we're going to spend three weeks on it. It's a great passage. Um, so let's pray and, and ask the Lord to open our eyes to see it. God, you are the God who speaks. You are not the God who is silent you are the God that has made us, and we pray, we, we are desperately needing to hear from you, all of us for our own reasons, and uh, we want to hear your voice so we can live. So speak to us for your own glory, for your own name, amen. So um, before I came here to pastor uh, many of you know, most of you know, I was doing campus ministry up in Cambridge, but I was also on staff at a church there, and uh, every now and then I preached at that church, and the pastor who became a mentor said to me one day, hey, we're working through uh, John, um, and I'm going to give you, I think he set me up actually, now that I think about it, I was going to say he was gone that week, but he wasn't gone that week, uh, and he said, uh, and I'm going to ask you to preach on love. And he said it in such a way where he was like looking at me like I was supposed to get something significant about that. Now at that time, to confess to you, I just sort of was like, yeah, it's another one of God's characteristics. Got it. Love. I'll come through. So I preached my sermon. And afterward, uh, as I normally do, I was fishing for compliments. And, uh, and uh, anyway... So, I, I, and he was not a flatterer, this guy. This is why God put me with him. It's so great. And um, uh, I said, well, you know, and he said, um, you know, I bet you would preach that sermon differently to your students. And I was like, what do you mean? He's, I said, why? And he said, because you feel their burden, don't you? And what he was saying was, you know, uh, there is a burden that love carries. 
And that just made me think about that there are many things that make up love, right? Just like there are many instruments that make one song be heard, or there are many colors in a painting. There are many things that make up love. So as we've been going through this series, honor one another, that makes up love. Carry one another's burden, that makes up Forgive one another, admonish one another. All these things are part of love one another. That's, that's the big thing, right? Uh, this past Monday, our family had the opportunity to go to see the Van Gogh immersive um, exhibition. And uh, it was really cool. Really cool. And uh, there's a lot going on, you know, when you come in. And um, it, it is an immersion, as you would guess, right? It's an immersion, but there's music going on. And then you're seeing his artwork, sometimes like a collage that's coming in and out of your vision. And then you're hearing quotes go by. You're reading about a story. And uh, when Van Gogh was healthy, healthy, uh, he talked a lot about love. Some of you may know that. He's one of our favorite artists. Talked a lot about love. And one of the things he said was, I feel that there is nothing more truly artistic than to love people. And so, you know, he saw his gifts and his vocation again, is part of the overall love thing, love goal. Just as we've been seeing all these different parts. And uh, this is where Peter goes. He says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Earlier in the letter, Peter mentions love, and in that case, it's referring to brotherly love, the love within the family of God. Here... The love he's talking about is the unconditional grace can't pay you back love. That's what he gives us here. Love covers a multitude of sins. You probably caught that in the passage. That's reference to the way that God gives his son as a sacrifice. Why? Because of love. This is why he does it. And it is, that love is undoubtedly the most powerful love. I like to call it why love. It's when you have been loved so unconditionally and so surprisingly, it just leaves you speechless and say, why? Why would you do this for no advantage to yourself, with no gain? Even it's counterintuitive. It's why love. And it's love that's displayed at the cross of Jesus Christ, as we've been singing about. Why would you do that, God? Why would you hand over your Son? And it's love that defines the fellowship of God the Father, Son, and Spirit, the Trinity, together. Uh, You know, God is full up with love. There is no lonely member of the Trinity. There's no one sitting there in the corner going, I wish the other two would play with me today. No insecurity, just full-on love, overflowing love. And it's a good thing, because if God was waiting for love from us, he'd be waiting, right? Because we, if we know our hearts, are poor lovers. 
I, I was thinking about this quote, and I, I, I quoted it a couple times in the um, long time ago in the past, but it's a quote out of, uh, it's a Dostoevsky quote out of the Brothers Karamazov. And one of the characters is talking about the difference between theoretical love and realistic love. And he says this with, you know, a, a bit of sort of bitter jest. He says, the more I love humanity in general, the less I love man in particular. In my dreams, I often make plans for the service of humanity, and perhaps I might actually face crucifixion if it were suddenly necessary. Yes, I am, yet I am incapable of living in the same room with anyone for two days together. I know this from experience. As soon as anyone is near me, his personality disturbs me and restricts my freedom. In 24 hours, I begin to hate the best of men. One, because he's too long over his dinner. Another, because he has a cold and keeps on blowing his nose. I become hostile to people the moment they come close to me. But it has always happened that the more I hate men individually, the more I love humanity. Right? He's talking about, and, and this is where our world is, you know, grandiose things that are said about love. We fancy ourselves as great lovers. The songs, the movies, the posters, right, this past year. But the gospel doesn't come to great lovers. It comes to adulterers. It comes to those that have failed. And God loves first, and it comes with a love that is unconditional, freely, extravagant, to those that daily have failures to love. And this is very different from the message we get today, which is, uh, about God at least, love that is generic from an impersonal God that is thin, that just sort of glosses over stuff. Instead, what you get in the Christian gospel is love from a personal God who knows, who sacrifices himself that you might be forgiven, doesn't gloss over anything, knows you better than you know yourself, and yet loves you. Loves you at the greatest imaginable cost. Powerless, lukewarm, cold-hearted, hostile people loved by God. And this enables us then to love one another. I do want to say this. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have the power to love people. We have the power to love one another, and we need to love one another. We need it. But how do we go about it? Let me mention two things that Peter draws our attention to. First of all, we have to purify, purify our love. Now, to modern ears, this idea that you have to purify your love sounds strange because we are told love is love. Right? Love is love, which is to say whatever we name love, whatever we believe is love, well, then that's love. So there's really not any need to purify love because we just love. But if you think just a little bit deeply, that's simplistic, right? 
it's simplistic because we also know how easily love can be distorted. I have heard womanizers justify their behavior and say, I just love women. But really what they love is to objectify women. Or a parent might say to their child, I say or do this because I love you, when it's really control or manipulation, or even worse, it could be abuse. And so we don't have to go long, think long, before we realize, yeah, you know, we can have impure love. Our love needs to be purified, as Stevie Wonder wrote and sang, love's in need of love, right? Love's in need of love. Peter would say, purify love. And he says this twice whenever he talks about love. First of all, chapter 1, he says this, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And there you hear two things. You hear an exhortation to have pure love, but then you also hear a standard of love, obedience to the truth. And then, just before our passage, this is what he says. For the time is past, living in sensuality, passion, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. Why? Then we've got this in our passage. Because in all things, God is to be glorified. The exhortation is what? Stop degrading yourself and other people. Why? Because the glory of God is the standard and you made in his image. Don't do that. The exhortation, exhortation and the standard for love. What am I saying? It's not enough just to say, love, go love. We need a standard of love, right? That's just common sense. We need a standard of love. And Jesus, Peter's just following Peter, uh, Jesus here. Because his master, the Lord of love, said, if you love me, you will you obey my commandments. Now, wait a second. I thought Jesus was just full of love, grace love. He's sounding like a legalist here, a fundamentalist here. No, he just knows that our hearts lie to us. He just knows that we need light and we need help if we're really going to be able to love one another. I mean, I, man, I, I feel like this has just been a lesson God keeps like clonking over my head for the last past half a century. What I, you know, when I think I was doing that out of sincerity and love, and I look back and go, no, I wasn't. His light of love shined, right? And if you hope to purify something, you have to know its original composition or condition. I went to the store the other day, and I bought some purified water. Now imagine if I picked that thing up, and it was like a little bit dirty, and I tasted it, and it tasted a little like paint thinner, somebody got the recipe wrong, right? They got the original recipe wrong. And the problem is, uh, every age throughout the beginning of man has had some belief of what love is love in their age, but we need something that's transcendent. We need something that's higher. You know, maybe uh, you all are familiar with the song because it was remixed by, I think it's Kigo. There's a debate, Kygo or Kigo, the DJ. And he takes Whitney Houston's version of Bring Me a Higher Love, which was Steve, um, help me. Thank you, Steve Winwood. 
back in the 80s. And you, you know, I probably don't need to say the lyrics, but I'll say them. You know, think about it, there must be higher love down in the heart or hidden in the stars above. Without it, there's wasted time. Look inside your heart. And then there's just think, bring me higher love. Bring me higher love, right? And, and I'm not sure exactly. You know, is, is it just more of the same? Look in your heart. Look to the universe. Or is it self-reflection and transcendent? Whatever the point is, the refrain is, I need a higher love. There's got to, and, and we feel that way in our age right now. Who, who doesn't feel that way? Is this as good as it gets? It's been humbling the last couple years, hasn't it? I mean, not just in the world, it's been humbling in the church. Is this as good as it gets with the love? Man. Bring me a higher love. And I'm not just talking about them, me. Does my patience really only go that far? Man. But the good news is God has not left us without a testimony of love. And, you, you know, you heard me pray that earlier. Why would he? Why would the God who made us leave us without a testimony of love? He hasn't. And yet you can't mistake the light of love for the power of love. You see, the law of God, the commandments of God, are the light of love. They're to show you and I, ah, uh, that wasn't love, and that's what love looks like. But if you set out just to sort of obey that, you, you won't be able to love. You won't purify your love. Because it's not power for love. The scripture tells us the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. We love because he first loved us. And then 1 John, listen to the tie here. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Do you see the tie between? It's your connection. It's, it, it's the cross that connects everything. It's, you know, the vertical pole right here. The cross, my love for God. The vertical, my love for neighbor. It's visually set before you and I. Nothing will purify your love like an encounter with the unconditional, sacrificial love of God through his son Jesus. Nothing will purify it. Because it takes us to places we norm that the law can't take us. You know, right now we need the law because we don't know how to love in heaven. We won't need the law anymore. We'll just love from instinct. You'll just, you'll just love out of freedom and creativity and wisdom. But we get a foretaste of that now through the Spirit. Amen? As we go into the gospel. I mean, you could wake up, you could wake up one day and just go, okay, how should I love by the people in my house, my roommates, my neighbor? I got this first. I get to, I'm not trying to belittle the word of God. But you might kind of do it, and you know, it's like the wrong thing at the wrong time. But if you set before God with his word, and he pummels your heart with his love, he overcomes you with how many times he forgives you. Love that is so great, Paul would write, you know, because of the greatness of the greatness of his love. Then you'll come up out of that and go, hmm, I think this person might need to be loved this way. Right? God's writing new songs, new words, new lyrics. But this takes us to the last point, second point, the priority of love. And here there's two things Peter gives us, knowing the order and knowing the time. Knowing the order and knowing the time. He starts by saying, above all, right? So this is the top right here. Above all. 
And so whatever your other loves are, that got to go under that. Which means, if you are a believer, a Christian, you must say, I love you more than blank. And I don't know what that is for you. I ought to be able to look at you and say, I love you more than my to-do list or my bucket list. I love you more than my freedom of my schedule. I love you more than my career goals. I love you more than my political convictions, my cultural expressions, whatever it would be. I love you more than that because you're my brother and sister. A Christian must be able to say, I love you more, if they mean above all. That's what it means. Now, I think a question that popped in my mind, and maybe yours, what are you saying those other things can't contribute to love? Yes, they can. Of course they can. That was Van Gogh's point. Your job, your vocation, all those things can actually serve love. But you know something? We need some help. That's why Peter says, be sober-minded and self-controlled. We need sobriety and self-control if those other little loves aren't going to reach up and pull down love. Sober-minded. That means a sense of proportion and perspective, keeping your head in crisis. Circumstances will press us, won't they? I mean, Peter's original audience were being pressed by persecution, and some of them were being tempted to flee, as we read, to substance abuse and sex. You know, things were pressing in. All of us have our own coping mechanisms of where we go, and it needn't be persecution. It may be busyness. It may be this endless, like, circle that we feel like we're in. It might be loneliness. I, I was joking with the staff saying, um, you know, I've got a favorite counselor in my life, and I'm going to tell you the name. Uh, frigid air. Yeah. It's the refrigerator. Uh, when I'm feeling stressed and nervous, I'm like, I need an appointment with you. You know, all of us have our stuff. But in the testing, God is trying to do this. Not God doesn't try to do anything. Okay, sorry. God is doing this. Are we receiving it? What he's doing is he's helping you and I move back up, right, to that higher love. And to do that, we have to be, second one, self-controlled, reasonable, sensible, serious, and self-restraint. That actually speaks to the practices and the habits that inform not just our lives, but our loves. The practices and habits that inform not just our lives, but our loves. Our loves. Because, you know, not all sin <laughs> is premeditated. Right? What is, like, really sobering is the reflex stuff. The stuff where you're like, what did ha what happened? Right? And that's because that's coming deeper than just the volition. That, that's coming from your affections and your heart. So how do we get down to that place? This, of course, you know, you hear some of my language. This was St. Augustine's, one of his great themes, that sin has caused disordered loves. 
disordered affections. A guy named Jamie Smith, who has written a lot about this, and some of you may have heard of his book, You Are What You Love, he says this, Augustine's point is that you were defined, you were defined by what you love. It's your loves that govern your action and pursuits. Indeed, you are more defined by what you love. This is, this is almost heretical for, peace, for Presbyterian people. So grab your seats. You are more defined by what you love than what you think, know, or believe. Humans are lovers before they're thinkers. What he's saying is there, it, the disordered affections swim underneath the water. You know, God's just not going to leave us to drown. But we do need the Spirit to make me sober and self-controlled. I can't be presumptuous about my love and the priorities. I need His help. So the Spirit makes me sober and says, Be careful that your love for independence doesn't rise above your love for covenant and commitment. Be careful that your love for this just and good cause doesn't cause to rise above your love for your fellow man. speaking to us, helping us to be sober. Because above all, love is what is most required of a Christian. And even if you're not a Christian here, it's still required of you. Love is what God most requires from you and I. And what kind of love is it? One scholar, great scholar, uh, I. Howard Marshall said, in this passage... A, a, a really um, acceptable translation is this, love at full stretch. Love at full stretch. Now, you got the Olympics, right? Man, what, what a visual display of just people going full stretch, right? Pushing themselves. One of my favorite, I was watching the men's 400, and at the end, they were so exhausted. Everybody fell to the ground. And even the winner kind of went like this, <laughs> fell on his back. I mean, actually, because I, I didn't hear what, I was sitting there going, who, who won? Well, it can't be that guy. He's not up and celebrating. Well, it's not that guy either. He's on his back. They're all on their back. Love at full stretch. They were exhausted. They gave everything they had. Okay, for the original church, it was persecution, but my... My brothers and sisters, you already know this because God is stretching some of you. And he's so kind. You know, there are times we've got stretching and then there's times we've got, okay, good. You know, we're not always at the Gumby state. But you know, man, God, God will stretch us so much you think, you're going to snap me into. And he says, no, I, I won't break the bruised reed. I know it feels this way but I am stretching your love because I want you to love above all things. And I will meet you in that place. Man, it's so important. If you are going through crisis and trial, maybe it's chronic illness, maybe it's relationships in your family, maybe it's grieving over stuff, maybe it's your career, whatever it is, it's so important that you soak in the love of God, but also that you find company with the people in scriptures that were able to, to say, God, what are you doing? To beat on his chest, so to speak. He's big enough to handle that. It's going to take, as Peter says, keep loving and be earnest. 
But then he gives us one other thing, not only knowing the order, knowing the time. You know, he begins by the end of all things is near. You can just imagine. The end of all things is near. And everybody just, you know, running every which way, hysterical. Tries to catch them before that would happen. <laughs> they are listening. They are listening. Now, you know, does that mean Peter thought the world was going to end or Jesus? Listen, many of you know this, that when Jesus died and rose until his return, that's considered the whole end time period. We are in the last days. In the last days. And he says that will actually help you. Now, this, this, I have often seen, I'm sure you have too, when people get the diagnosis that this is going to be it, they often will go to think about who they need to love, who they need to maybe reconcile love with, who they need to say something to. I mean, on another scale, maybe it's just like someone's going to move and you know they're not going to see you. What do they do for the next couple of weeks? They meet with the people they love. Time makes us clarify and prioritize our love. And so, how do we recover a sense of passing time? You know, I, I have to be honest with you. Now that I'm, you know, I've got less ahead of me, I think, than what's behind me. Not to be morbid, but it's... Um, you're all looking at me like, yeah, Glenn, we, we know that. I'm glad, you, I'm glad you've come to that realization. Uh, you know, uh, but what convicts me is as time clicks away, my thought isn't, who do I need to go and love? It's what goals do I really need to accomplish? Now, I'm not saying love couldn't be one of those, but in my mind, it's like, what do I want to get done? What I'm saying is it can make me more selfish. But there's a way where you and I begin to experience time. I think it's Moses when he says, teach us to number our days. And that's very hard. It's going to be hard if you're young. It's hard in a modern world. Now, COVID has changed that. H have you noticed, and I don't mean to make light of this pandemic and the hundreds of thousands of people have died. This has been a tragedy, a trauma. We are living in that part of history. It's right to grieve, you know, but there has been a lot of fear and anxiety. And especially God's people need to step and go, what am I really afraid of? Like, what am I really afraid of? Do I, have I not thought about, like, today might be the day. Next week might be the day. Tomorrow, there's a clarifying part of that. Now, you know, what we want to do is get to the point where the Apostle Paul would be like, you know, this is a guy that was like dying every other day, being killed every other day, and he's like, I don't know what to do. Like, part of me wants to go be with the Lord, go to heaven, and part of me wants to stay with you and love you. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, again, right? Uh, part of me wants to not go to heaven yet, 
Part of me wants to spend time with my, right? But there was a way that he knew God. He knew the love of God where he realized, I, you know, this is fine. This is wonderful. I want it to be good. I want to be a good steward. I want to enjoy life. God's people should be filled with joy. People should be attracted by that. I want to love people. But you know what? I am. I can't wait to get in his love and before him. And so, the more we say that, the more we begin to love other people, right? So, the Christian story, the love of Christ is the Christian story. It's the Christian mission. It's the Christian map. It's the Christian aroma. It's the Christian ethos. It's the Christian telos. It is the Christian finish line. It is the Christian's great desire, the love of God. And if you know him, you already have it. Do what you have to do. Throw off things that entangle. Get up in that attic of your heart. Just start throwing things. Find it. He loves you because... Our city needs love by the love of Christ. This community needs love by the love of Christ. And we have what we need to do this. It's just tremendous. Because we've been loved with the same love of the Father. That he loved the Son. Let's pray. We thank you, God, for your love. We long to just immerse ourselves in it. We pray that our congregation, our family of God, would become famous for its love of people. Not ingrown love, not, Lord, predictable love, but love that comes from you. We pray that for other sister churches. We pray it for every church in the city. We pray that Washington would be famous because of the love of Christians. Would you please give us your spirit?